I have that sem- similar kind of feeling to, to that you have. I think it's that struggling to figure out how to to vocalise some of the stuff that that has gone on and recognising how it's still affecting me. That is still a massive work in progress, and a lot of that I'm trying to do through my writing so before this episode starts properly i just want to let you know that it's got a content note on it we're going to be talking a lot about mental health issues particularly depression and suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideation and there's also a lot of stuff about bullying and trauma and all of those sorts of things really there's no descriptions of suicide particularly but there are kind of some descriptions of bits of violence violence or ideas of violence that may be difficult to listen to if this is the wrong day for you to listen to that kind of thing. I mean, for me personally, I actually often find to listen to these kind of conversations can be really useful for my mental health. Uh, So that's what today's episode is going to be touching on. So please handle today's episode with care. Also, in the outro for this episode, I'm going to make a proper full announcement of this. But for those of you who don't get that far, Getting Bear Acquainted is going to be going on hiatus once it hits 350 episodes. So there'll be one more episode coming out next week and then there'll be a bit of a break and then there'll be a Christmas episode which will be the 350th episode and there'll also be a Getting Better Acquainted extra in the new year but after that Getting Better Acquainted is taking a break there still may be things going out on the feed so please keep subscribed and look out for new content that comes out And as I said, I'm going to go into all of this in more detail at the end of the episode. But another thing I'd like to just put out there for people who don't get that far is that if you have been listening to Getting Better Acquainted uh, since 2011 when it started, or if you've joined me at any other point between then and now, then do reach out to me in this kind of end point or, or potential end point for the show and let me know how it's been being a listener. Over the years, I've occasionally had people reach out and send me emails and make comments and give reviews and speak to me in person about how the show has affected them. So that's happened from time to time. But I also always get a sense that there's lots of people who listen to this show who don't necessarily reach out and talk to me about it. I mean, I listen to loads of podcasts myself and I don't reach out and talk to the creators of those podcasts. So I'd really love to hear from you and hear your thoughts about being a Gang Bear Acquainted listener. And I will probably share some of those responses in the Christmas special, uh, the 350th episode of this show so if you don't want me to read out what you're sending me make it explicit and say that you don't give permission for me to use it but I'd love to hear how you found the ride like I'm very aware that 2018 me is not the same as 2011 me I'm also aware that the show has had larger amounts of listeners at some times and smaller amounts of others so I'd love to hear from people who've listened to Getting Better Acquainted uh, what they've found Uh, from that process of listening to me changing uh, and talking to people about their lives. gbapodcast at gmail.com is the email address to use to send those thoughts or you can find me on Twitter at goosefat101. But anyway, that's enough from me. Here's today's episode. When I first started getting bullied, I went and I spoke to the teachers and said, I'm getting bullied, I'm getting picked on every lunchtime. You're bigger and smarter than that. You should be able to deal with it yourself. And it led to me 
very much feeling correctly and incorrectly that I couldn't talk to adults about my problem. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Charlie. Hello, Charlie. Hello. I've come to your house in in Morecambe, and I've had I've, I've walked here from Lancaster, where I now live. So thanks for having me no in your in your home. I like doing conversations in people's homes uh, because it already tells me stuff about you before we even have uh, sat down. You know the 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 house. You 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 did that thing that a lot of people do, where you warned me that it would be messy, mm-hmm. and actually it's not very very messy at all in my in my criteria. Uh, my partner speak to my mom. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> my my partner always does that. She always ap- apologizes for the state of our home in advance, and I'm always very aware that our home is actually uh, tidier than most homes I've ever been in. Um, where which wasn't the case when I was growing up. I I grew up in messy places. I'm kind of naturally messy, but it's. It's actually, I think it's really tidy and like full of like, so I I already know that you're into Marvel superheroes, into Star Wars, into, well, into Buddhism, maybe a Buddhist, I'm I'm not sure. I like to kind of consider myself a particularly crap Buddhist. A particularly crap Buddhist. Um, I have grown up with Buddhism uh, present. Uh, my dad is uh, is a long uh, practicing Buddhist, so it's always been around for me. Right. Um, and I I did that typical thing that you know, kind of adolescent teenagers did, which was rebel against all kind of religion around the house or anything like that. I I went to a C of E primary school, so started to kind of act out against anybody. Why would anybody particularly want to be Christian? It's obviously fake and that was me acting out and not really being open to how other people feel about their faith rather right. than yeah it's me trying to impose my my will on them and that was wrong i recognize that increasingly now um and for a long time i was interested in the buddhism but it was never it wasn't anything I was particularly willing to practice. It was something I was interested in, but didn't want to do anything much with. And then, increasingly, I've got uh, more comfortable with it to the point where I try and observe some of the practices and do as much as I can and try and live, you know, a semi-Buddhist uh, practicing life. But I am angry quite a lot of the time <laughs> right um i really enjoy pastrami and obviously the whole kind of <laughs> right. you know the whole kind of buddhist thing is you know you, you don't eat meat it's vegetarian or vegan lifestyle and i tried the vegetarian thing and it's all right i like it but i missed pastrami and bacon and <laughs> right a good cheeseburger and, right yeah you know, so the you know, I'm, I'm buddhist but a crap buddhist Fair enough. I mean, I think I think probably people with uh, faith uh, can recognise like that something of that in most people. Like most yeah. people who have a, a a faith that I know would sort of consider themselves sort of aspiring towards it rather than actually achieving it. And yeah. that's 
you know that's just real life and human existence i mean it's a it, but a, but it's a really nice house actually it's a really like it's 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 big and it's really nice yeah i'd be like, lucky with it all of your artwork as well when i say marvel and uh, and star wars i feel like people will, will think a kind of certain kind of feel which isn't actually there like all of the paint you've got paintings on the wall of like uh marvel characters and they're very kind of i guess tasteful and like uh yeah it's, nice it's designs thing of I I love them dearly. Um, I am a I am a big comic book fan and sci-fi and all that kind of side of things. Yeah, me um, too. We have that in common. But, yeah, but it, it's that thing of if I let myself go, I could quite easily let it take over the entire house. Right, and it kind of has started to a little bit anyway. But yeah, you know, what I've got up on the wall are kind of the Art Deco style, stylistically kind of things for the for some of the the characters, and you know, it's it's present. You know, you're in a a geek household, but without it kind of yelling at you. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I love comics, Hopefully. but the the artwork and the the color choices in a lot of comics is very garish, very yeah. like takes over. Like, whereas you've got kind of more subtle so, background pieces. Like, yeah, yes. so, certainly where we are, uh, where we where we're doing in this, this room. the the, uh, the artwork that leads up to the second floor is. A little bit more garish. Yeah, no, but I still, I still, I still really like. I mean, I liked that. I mean, this is it. Like, I feel like, yeah, like this is a, a nice home to live in. I guess it's a com- a complicated area to live in, maybe, but it's yeah. a really nice house because we're in, we're in Morecambe and we're in uh, the, the the West End, the West End, which has got a, 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 a reputation. Let's say yes, yeah, I think that's <laughs> fair to say. It certainly has a reputation. It's, a, it's an improved reputation on what it used to be. Right. It's, yeah, it's still a reputation. But I mean, but you can you can have this kind of house uh, is a, an option yeah. in this kind of an area, which probably isn't an option in, for most no, people I mean, in most areas. No, I mean, the, a similar sized house in Lancaster, so, you know, around yeah. where you live would be twice the price. Yeah. Least. Right, I mean, this is much bigger. I mean, we've got a house rather than the flat that we were in 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 London, but this is much bigger than our our house. Which I mean, is and it's a, you know, it's a really nice, really nice uh, house. It's got a really nice feel to it. But I guess part of that is is what you've done to to it, and it's how you live inside the house as much as the outside and the shape yeah. of the house. So the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Oh, I actually know you. I think as probably quite a lot of people do through stand up tragedy at Edinburgh. That's right. Um, yeah, I think we met. Uh, this is where I'm going to fall down quite horrifically. Is dates? I am terrible with dates. I think it would be 2015, Edinburgh. It's certainly the year that Scott Tyrrell won the BBC yeah. Slam. <clears throat> I think it is 2015 because that's when I. That was the last time I took stand-up tragedy to Edinburgh. It's also when I did my solo show about masculinity in Edinburgh. Yes. Yeah, that was time. Yeah, and and you came onto my radar because a friend of mine that I went to university with, Louise Fazakali, who's also a, yes. a, a really talented poet, um, I think it might have been Sophia uh, who put me on I think there's, there's a... But somebody a, gave me your name. Yeah, who I knew it was, it was... I'd come up to do the, the BBC Slam um, and I was going to be around for most of the week uh, for it. And... I think Sophia and Louise Fazakli had had been in touch with me to 
give me opportunities to go and, and speak to other people and and we'd been put in touch right that way and I, I came on to to do the stand-up tragedy that's uh, right and yeah it was a really fascinating night a really interesting kind of mix of, of everything so it was yeah I think it was our first yeah kind of chat and meeting and it was I mean, it's, it was always interesting doing stand-up tragedy in Edinburgh. Very different beast from how I do it when I'm not in Edinburgh. Because yeah. it's an hour show rather than a whole night. Um, and the the opportunities to get lots of different kinds of performers increases. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, people are less likely to know what stand-up tragedy is. And so yeah. they're less likely to kind of tailor a piece for it. And they're more likely to try and sort of sell their thing. Mm. Which is good. I mean, and I, I, I love... Uh, love doing stand-up tragedy in Edinburgh I miss it since I've stopped uh who knows maybe I'll do it again in future one of the things I liked about it was always it was an opportunity to get people who were you know had different voices different cultures than you necessarily would get in London um you know everything from kind of you know people from Africa that do African drumming I remember like we we got somebody to do tragic drumming um and 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 things like that like there's a lot more opportunity to get interesting people and you're kind of a non-London centric voice that we could get you know so that was great for me I always jumped at the chance of anybody you know who's not 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 the yeah I guess some people who have different perspectives on life uh, because when you make stuff in London even if you're not from London you get the London perspective you know yeah well it has to be said that I I, I do have a London connection because my my dad's originally a North Londoner so I mean, I think it's hard to hard to live in the UK without yeah, a London connection in some ways because everybody kind of rolls through that city at some point, or you know, somebody's parent did or whatever. Like so many yeah. people in the north, I know have Londoners as, as parents or grandparents. The city does connect the the country, even though we all rail against London centric yes. as an idea. <laughs> yeah. um, we do all kind of it does connect us in some ways. It does. And the thing about London as well is it's. It's 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 a, a city with like very few actual Londoners in it. I mean, not just because people from all over the country go there, but people from all over the world go there. Yeah. So it's a yeah, like it's 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 not the normal place in in the UK. I often no. think when people come on holiday to London and they think, oh, I've been to uh, England or I've been to Britain, they kind of haven't. No. They've been to a di- they've, been, they've been to London, yeah, but they haven't yeah, been to the. Much. The, the UK, they haven't been to sort of somewhere like Morecambe or somewhere no. like Lancaster uh, or like all over the, the, you know, there's so many places I could mention where, you know, people have different life experiences, different kind of perspectives um, than London. Some of those I find refreshing coming from London. Some of them I find less refreshing coming from yeah. London. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, and the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Um, I write spoken word, um, but that's generally fitting around the other aspects of uh, my life. So I am the administrative partner for a business that I run with my dad. He he set it up a number of years ago uh, and brought me in to do all the kind of paperwork side of things. couple of years about three years ago now three four years ago um and that was partly so that I could try and focus a bit more time on the writing that I was starting to to do more and more um and also to allow me to move away from the retail sector job that I had um which was slowly beginning to crush me right um but 
yeah, so I kind of do that. I I write uh, spoken word, and at the moment, kind of flip between uh, here and Blackpool, um, where my fiance lives, um, and we're in the process of planning our wedding for next year, and then yeah, the whole kind of move together uh, that that comes about from that. So right. it's all kind of mildly chaotic at the moment. Feels. Well, this is a, a rare moment of calm, I think. So. Right, I mean, so you've got kind of your, your foot in, in two different northern uh, coastal towns. Yes. Uh, Blackpool being, I guess, m- more famous at this moment in time. Yes. Maybe somewhere in the past they would have been kind of quite equivalent. Quite equivalent, yeah. I mean, Morecambe has uh, an incredible history and, you know, not even that distant away, really. I mean, if you... Think, uh, I think when you, you, you spoke to Matt Panish recently, yeah. you know, he, he went into some of, of that. Um, you know, the idea, you know, Eric Morecambe is from Morecambe, clearly. Yeah. And, you know, there's that history that's that's not that far past. And then everything that went on with the Alhambra, and, you know, Morecambe used to be a, an incredibly important seaside town once upon a time, and... It just doesn't feel that way anymore. Right, it's become somewhat forgotten, unfairly in a lot of for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I mean, because I, I met up with you after I spoke to Matt that day, and like we had a, a walk along the West End and, and, a, and a, a, a long talk about the the history of Morecambe and like what's happened to it over time. Um, and that was fascinating to me. I mean, and it seems like one of the big things was at the Hesham 2 power station where Matt's dad worked. <laughs> um, when that was being built, you were saying that the the guest houses were catering to the people building and working there. And it's that certainly that... one of the stories that we've that, that my parents got told when they tried to find out a bit more about Morecambe um, when they moved. Um, one of the stories they got told was that the a lot of the guest houses that, that used to just absolutely line the front of, of Morecambe um, when the power station was built they, they took in the the workers and kept you know kept them accommodated for the, the amount of time it took to, to build the Haitian power plant um, and the regular guests who'd been coming for 20, 30 years suddenly didn't have anywhere to stay so they stopped coming because they couldn't get here for a couple of years right so there are other alternatives yeah there's other seaside towns but then also over time one of the things that that has hit uk holiday destinations of all of all stripes is is that it's so cheap to go to other places I mean, it's interesting to see. I'm interested to see what the future holds with Brexit and things like that. Whether, uh, as as much as there's many terrible things Brexit will probably bring, uh, it may help to rejuvenate some of the holiday destinations in the UK. It may, but, but we'll see. I know. I think it's it's going to be an interesting, an interesting, and complicated time. Uh, I think there's going to be a distinct possibility that the price gouging that that happens at the moment for UK destinations because they feel that to make the money up that they're losing to foreign holidays will possibly continue because 
they know they've got a captive market. Right, and also they won't be getting anybody from Europe as much. Exactly. Like people won't be easily able to it's just hop across. No. Um, it will become a visa situation for them, as same as it, as it will, will for, for us. us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's a complicated time. It definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a complicated time uh, in my lifetime, I feel like now is, is absolutely yeah, it. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there were, yeah, there were some, there's definitely been other complicated times too, to be fair. Yes. Oh, no, no, it's, it's not the only one, but this is, this is the one that we're going to feel the ramifications of for right. quite a long time for, for, sure. for us. And, you know, there, there are significant complicated and challenging periods that we've gone through, but for I'd say for my generation, possibly our generation, yeah. this is going to be one of the ones that hits us hardest and longest. Yeah, yeah, because we're basically the same generation. We found out last time we met up that we both were kind of at Lancaster <laughs> University, at maybe time. one year at the same time. Yeah, I like so. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. I guess we're definitely kind of around about the same generation. Even though I went, a, you know, a few years before you did, so I've got a few, I'm few, few more years closer to the grave. Um, but yeah, I mean, and but you don't hail from Morecambe originally, right? No, I'm uh, from a, a town called Shipley, just outside Bradford. Uh, I need to be careful how I say that. So if I'm saying it properly, it should be Bradford, even though it's spelled Bradford. And, um, and that, for people who are not very familiar with the north, makes you the wrong rose. Yeah, I'm. I'm in. I'm in the wrong rose over here. I've, I started off as a white rose, yeah. uh, county boy, and I've moved over to the red rose. Right, and, which is uh, from the War of the Roses with uh, yeah. Lancashire and Yorkshire. Although you know, really, in the War of the Roses, like the the, the winner is York because York is uh, a, a very wealthy and uh, successful tourist. De- de- uh, place to go for tourist destination that's the word tourist destination whereas Lancaster is I, I really love Lancaster but yeah, it's, it's not got the same clout on the no. on the, the UK scale no I mean that makes it actually a better place to go on holiday I think you don't get all the tourists and you have got a lot of history there um, yeah. but you know uh, so it goes yes it's where my missus originally housed from is York as right well, so. mine too <laughs> so I'll, I'll no doubt be hearing something about uh you know, if we if we start kind of giving York too much grief. Oh, I'd, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't give the place grief. I no. love, I love York. Um, it's it's a wonderful place, but it's more likely to give me a panic attack on a big busy Saturday yeah. uh, than than yeah, than Lancaster is because it's yeah. just so busy. It is, and so because it's busy and successful, it's also more expensive. Yes, um, and none of that is a criticism of the, of no. the city. <laughs> no, it, it does what it needs to do, and that's absolutely fine. But no, it, it, you're right. It, it, York has come out with a huge amount of clout, and Lancaster is a really lovely town. It's a really lovely city, I should say. Yeah, and it's a city. It has a, it, a lot of things to to shout about. But yeah, it doesn't seem to be able to shout as loud as York. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's a city, but it is a town. I mean, yeah. size-wise, it's yeah. a town, and also. You know, York Cathedral is different from uh, Lancaster Cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is not to say, you know, Lancaster's got Castle, it's got the Ashton Memorial, which is one of my favourite places. Uh, in fact, I think you're getting married there, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so it's got lots lots to recommend it, I think. But it is it's definitely, in, in, in terms of history, no matter who won the War of the Roses, I mean, 
you know, York, York is the one that is, is yeah. going to be forever kind Absolutely. of more historically important. So, um, yeah, so one of the third topics that you kind of, we were talking about, talking about before we turned on the recording was m- mental health. Yes, something then, that both of us are passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. And both of us have experience of in different kinds of ways. I mean, you you stopped working in retail because that was kind of crushing you. And you kind of went into this new job uh, in the hope that you would have more time for writing. But I suspect that, you know, mental health didn't necessarily go hand in hand with that. No, I think what's been fascinating for me is as much that as the retail job was crushing me i think i was actually i've actually found that i was probably writing more while i was being crushed partly because it was a, a release and it was a way of kind of dealing with that feeling of being crushed right and now that i've got the time to allegedly be able to just sit down and think about writing I find myself less able to to just write on demand. Right. It, it needs to be something I, I I almost need to put myself under pressure for. So right. To give myself a target and say, I need to write this for this deadline or for this event so that I, I'm actually almost putting myself under the cosh a, a, a bit to, to write. And, yeah, the the... Certainly the mental health side of things, I came out from retail feeling better because I wasn't under the same pressure. I wasn't, I was able to be my own boss a bit more, a lot more. Um, But it was, it's just a different challenge, I guess. It's just a different, different uh, battle to, to fight. And it, it always does feel like a bit of a, a battle yeah if you've got mental health issues and i i've i've had issues with depression and i do have moments where i well not moments but i i have periods of 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 of, uh difficulty that i still find very tricky to talk about and this is a a kind of a, a paradox i think both of us or probably of yeah. the thing we we do this whole thing of kind of in trying to encourage certainly guys to t- open up and talk more, yeah, and then still find ourselves or certainly from I find myself falling into the same trap that I'm encouraging people to try and get out of, yeah. which is no, I can't offload this onto somebody. It wouldn't be fair on them. Yeah, I need to keep it to myself. And it, it's a complicated one that as well because it's it's true that people need to talk, but it isn't untrue that offloading yourself onto somebody else has a cost to them no absolutely. and so that's a complexity to navigate you know the but, right person to talk to at the right time with the right um forewarning i think you're just randomly strolling up to somebody and going i'm having a depressive episode yeah here's all the things that are going wrong with me isn't fair on them yeah i mean people like to say how you're doing and if you tell them actually how you're doing they don't want to know like often and they they might not be emotionally ready to deal with that so it is complicated i mean i think a a lot of people when they talk about mental health and this isn't a kind of original for me but it is something i agree with talk about how it's not enough to say 
to men and to people in general that they should talk um, if there's no one for them to talk to, if there aren't the services there to, yeah. to help them, actually uh, encouraging men to talk when there isn't an actual support no. there for them is the wrong it's quite dangerous yes. for them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that's, that, that's something that needs to be really thought about, particularly when, when we're talking about you know, communities that aren't necessarily you know, middle-class, educated, white people. Um, the, the, in, in different communities, there's different costs, different yeah, damages absolutely. to talking about these things. Like if you're like living hand-to-mouth in a kind of hyper-masculine way because that's the only way to survive, talking to your mates in, in the pub about how depressed you are is going to expose you to ridicule and danger yeah. and it's not going to help you no if, if if anything make things worse for you no, yeah it, it, has, it has to be to the right person in with the right with the right network um and it's it's tricky to find that and encourage people to you know to either find that that network themselves or to have that network be made more obvious i think yeah i think that's some of the some of the difficulty is that the networks aren't always immediately obvious to people who who might not know where to look to right. start with. I mean, I'm I'm lucky in that I have a very good support network around me, um, and I know if I'm really struggling, I can go to my GP and get referred from there onto various other support networks, or even just go th- you know bypass the GP. And go straight to somebody who can offer that support if I need it. But I've also done a lot of research into it, not just for myself, but for things that I've written, and that that's given me that ability to know where I can go. Right, but, and it's a battle to get to that point. Yeah, like it took me six years to get uh, talking therapy on the NHS. Yeah, um, and I I achieved that with my middle class voice my ability to go like no I'm entitled to this thing give me this thing and and argue and I, I you know at every stage during that I was always thinking if what if English wasn't my first language yeah you know what if I came from a culture where like you know I, I always remember my mum told me when I interviewed her for getting better acquainted um that she once went to the doctor to ask for help um, and it had been everything she could to get into that room. You know, she'd have to like to fight to to, yeah. to 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 put makeup on to get there to look presentable. And because she looked presentable, she was sent away with no help. And that's that's always like really resonated with me. The amount of yeah. people who fight to get in the door and then are turned away. And that is still a major issue. Um... I mean, this is this is a question for you, and I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit here. <laughs> That's fine. Um, do you think that a lot of the issues that we're struggling with now is down to funding issues? That maybe we're going to our GPs, and we, you know, as a culture, as a populace, we know that there are more options available yeah. to us. But we're going to our GPs, and they know that they've got that sword hanging over them yeah budget constraints i think definitely and they're having to then kind of go well yeah you know you clearly do look like you could use the help of a crisis team or a therapist of some form but that costs money that we don't have i mean the only yeah i mean that's right i think it is a funding crisis and i think that the problem is that if you don't get help in the early stages 
that, that that's really when you need the help. Um, but the only way to really get help, uh, I found, was to, you know, become suicidal yeah. and to keep on saying, you know, no, I do have suicidal thoughts. And then, you know, then they will listen to you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you feel like, you know, you know I don't want to use something like that to get help. Like, no. I, I, I want to be offered help before I need it in that kind yeah, of way. It's... And also, by the time you get help, you're normally better. Like, and, and so you have to, like, remember, like, you won't always be better. No. And to, to keep fighting for the help. Because actually, by the time you get the therapy or whatever help you want and need, um, you'll probably be bad again. Because yeah. that's the thing. Like, you, you, I don't know if you're anything like me, but, you know, you, I have a tendency in my life to think, oh, if I just do this, that'll make things better. Um, and actually, I've kind of come to learn, like, with you know, with the last move from London to to Lancaster, I've been telling myself all the way, no, but you will be the same person in Lancaster. Yeah. You still will have mental health issues when you move. It doesn't yeah. matter if you if it. Yeah, there are some benefits that Lancaster give me that improve my mental health, but to, to, I can't let myself get fooled into like no. you're okay now because I'm not going to be. No, no, it's, it is a as much as you might talk to somebody, you might have the right network or make those changes that that help like you said it's the you know you still are essentially the same person you still have those issues that you need to to be aware of and to deal with and yeah I, I know that's certainly how I am um like you I I've had the suicidal thoughts I had attempted it twice uh when I was younger um, at school and I couldn't talk about it at the time um, in fact the, the piece I ended up doing at Stand Up Tragedy that where we met was about my experience and the, at the point I had written it and performed an early draft of it to my parents they hadn't been aware that I'd actually uh, att- attempted suicide Right. on school premises um, right. and they genuinely thought that it's well I don't know if they genuinely thought I think there was a belief that maybe it was poetic license that maybe it hadn't been right, right. as bad as that and I had to fess up 21 years after the event that no this is as, this is how bad it had got right um, I mean that was I mean I had a lot of experiences at school that I kept from my parents for sure um, for a long time and uh, it's definitely been a, a process of trying to c- kind of communicate what that what those years were actually like to them years later and now my dad's got dementia I have uh, often been in a cycle of, of having to re-remind him of all of the experiences I had which has never been fun no. um, to go through that cycle again Um and I've made shows about it and stuff, but like it's like you you were saying, like I've made shows where I have talked about uh, talking about stuff yeah. and how and you know passionately advocated for it. But when I went into therapy, I had no idea how to notice how I'm actually feeling in the moment, like what what my actual feelings. Are. I'm still not sure I fully always can know what my feelings are, so it's quite hard to talk about them if you don't understand them or see them. Yeah. I think it's it is something that I 
along uh, yeah I, I i have that some similar kind of feeling to, to that you have i think it's that struggling to kind of figure out how to to vocalize some of the stuff that that has gone on and recognizing how it's still affecting me right that that is still a massive work in progress and a lot of that i'm trying to do, do through my writing um I, I think and i have to say for me the right my yeah the writing has been a very good therapist because it's allowing me to confront some of the stuff that i've felt and am feeling yeah and will continue to feel and put it on paper and put it out there and and deal with it it's not the right solution for everybody right i know it works better for me than if i was just trying to still bottle it up um which i did for a long time i you know i tried bottling it up and through my late teens early 20s i drank more than i should have done because well you know it was a way of med- self-medicating yeah and i did that it's you know I, I can look back at that now and go well that's what I was doing but at the time you don't realise you're self-medicating you just you know I'm doing this because this makes me feel good and I haven't felt this good and it's a vicious cycle yeah and you know I, I have that perspective now to be able to kind of go well no actually if I look at what I was feeling and what I am feeling it's related to this and I was drinking to try and suppress that feeling and it's it's helped but yeah I still talk to people when I need to talk to people I still have moments where I struggle a, a huge amount right but I'm I do advocate that if if you are feeling that way, for, this is, you know, I don't know. I was going down a the line there. I think maybe it's the, not the right. I don't know. Um, I was going to say I do advocate. You know, if you if you do recognise that you're you're going down that route, to try and you know reach out to your support network. But I mean, I do. I advocate for that too publicly, and I'm always very interested in that because, like I I say, you know, when I do true storytelling nights and a a story comes up that touches on these kind of issues I say you know at the end of it you know ask for help you'd be surprised how often you'll get it and that's true Um, and it's true like if you tell people your circumstance you will possibly be surprised uh, who will help you and who will be there for you but I'm also aware that that any generalisation is a generalisation and not everybody is going to find help and certainly not everybody should ask everybody for help like you have to pick the right person and and there isn't necessarily help out there for everyone so like as much as i I, i'm aware that it can get better for many people and i want to tell 
teenagers and young people Absolutely. it can and it, it can. did for me I'm, I'm super aware that when we say things like it gets better universally th- that's that not always the case and it's going to be if you if you if you're told it gets better and then you you get 20 years in and it hasn't then 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 that's going to be a hard rhetoric to to, to that's going to be yeah. additional burden for you uh, in how you're trying to, to solve things around yeah. you yeah so di- so did depression happen to you in secondary school then was that the it was um and this is the other thing the the Brantford school system when I was growing up was a bit weird because we were one of the few school districts in the UK that had had an experiment of dealing with primary uh, education then middle schools and then upper schools or grammars as they were were called they were grammar schools but not the private education grammar schools that you know, your Eatons and everything yeah. that were just called grammar schools to us. Um, and I started getting teased uh, a fair bit in first school because I was about a foot taller than everybody else by the first day I went to, to school. Right. Um, and, yeah, that that being picked on and teased for that difference was, you know, uh, starting to kind of mount up. And then I got to middle school and they made a very big point in every morning assembly that they had a very proactive anti-bullying stance. That their policy against bullying was incredible, that they would deal with it. So when I first started getting bullied, I went and I spoke to the teachers and said, I'm getting bullied, I'm getting picked on every lunchtime. You're bigger and smarter than that, you should be able to deal with it yourself. And... It led to me very much feeling, correctly and incorrectly, that I couldn't talk to adults about my problem. Right. So my parents didn't know what was going on. They recognised that something wasn't right. Right. But I wasn't telling them that something wasn't right because what was the point? Yeah, that's... The teachers who were supposed to be protecting me, who said very vocally every morning right. if you're getting bullied come and tell us we're just going yeah but you should be able to deal with it right why would anybody else listen to me i mean that's very similar to my experience with a lot of teachers not to say all not no, not I, all teachers I th- there was definitely no. some teachers who kept me alive in some ways i yeah, think I, you know i, I at, at that school there was a couple of teachers who i had a very good connection with i had a strong connection with um my english teacher was one of them and that's been a, a, a thread throughout uh, my education that my English teachers have, have always been phenomenal for me uh, and have been the reason why I've both survived and got to where I am and right. do what I do and and enjoy the reading and, and everything as much as I, I do. I, I always did, but they fostered that. Um, but... Yeah, there were a number of teachers, and I won't mention his name, mainly because I have done my level best to block his name out, but the deputy head at that middle school was one of the biggest culprits in me feeling absolutely lost and feeling like that, feeling like suicide was the only solution. Right. 
he actually put me in detention after one of my suicide attempts. Didn't, didn't say. Yeah, didn't uh, at no point spoke to my parents. Yeah, I mean this is this That's is a suicide attempt on the school premises. It's disgusting. And my parents were never contacted. It's disgusting. I mean, I mean if, you, if you think about that, that is a failure in the duty of care. Absolutely. I mean, and I saw that in my secondary school too. I mean, whilst I did have a, a great drama teacher who created a a space you know for, that was safe actually like at lunchtime and at a break time I would go to the drama room because that was safe yeah. um and that kept me alive I think if I'd have been out on the playgrounds I would have uh, been in, in in a lot worse time of it but I was kind of systematically bullied and, and, and got a nickname um um that people didn't sort of stop using um but the the Definitely the teachers contributed to the bullying, mm. like used that nickname. Uh, not all of them, but some of them did. And some of them, you know, one of them was physically uh, physically aggressive with me in a, in a corridor once, which was great addition. Yeah. Um, and the teachers who didn't, like there was also teachers who were being bullied by the by yeah. the by the by the uh, by the students who who kind of put me in awkward situations of trying to get me to to help them, you know, which is absurd. I'm yeah, like a absolutely. I'm a kid, but but uh, and I I had a I guess it was a an in school suicide attempt. I kind of look at it as a a cry for help rather than a like, rather than a legitimate attempt. But I I definitely held a knife to my to my wrists in in class. Uh, and uh, there was no teacher in that class. I don't remember there being a teacher. And the, the the kids, you know, I said, you know, stop picking on me, uh, or I'll, you know, whatever, do slip my wrists. And then, um, you know, the the class were like, do it, do it, do it. And then I was Very like, oh similar. fuck, yeah, what do I do? I, <laughs> I actually don't want to go through with this. Now no, I have I mean, to look I, stupid in front of everybody. I, I'm not. I'm not wanting to provide people who are listening to this with ideas as to how we could do it I, I tried hanging myself um, and what you just said about the kids coming in and cheering you on encouraging you that was exactly what they did with me Came, coming in do it do it do it it's, it's, it's just uh, then to yeah there were a couple of people who did actually go and find a teacher and and have me stopped but then the deputy head was the one who came found me and put me in detention for that after finding me trying to kill myself put me in detention so disgusting that that happened you know i'm sorry to hear that it's it's this thing of at the time i would have given anything to have had an adult fight my corner for me and i did i i had adults that would have fought every inch of the way. My parents, yeah. if they'd have ever been told exactly, that, but you never gave them that opportunity. And absolutely, yeah. raised the school to the ground, and I, I know that they would have done that. Yeah, me too. But at the Definitely. time, because I'd had that kind of disbelief of it instilled in me that adults would help, I didn't go to my parents. So my parents weren't there to help. And I would have given anything to have had somebody step up and, and say, we believe you, we'll let's sort this out. You know, physically do that. Um, and it was actually going to my my next school, which changed everything, really. Because 
I found out on the last day of the middle school that the sports teacher had been teasing me and bullying me behind my back to other classes in the school. Had been using me as an example of, you know, exaggerating the stuff that I'd done. Yeah, PE teachers are hard. PE teachers, I you know. So I I'm sure there's you know, some nice ones out there, but well, I've not experienced. I was going to come to this. This is this is the thing. I, I was due to go to. We'd selected a, a, the school that I did end up going to um, in the selection process uh, at the time because uh, we we made, the the reason we said was because it was the only school that did separate sciences, and at the time I was convinced I wanted to follow in my parents' footsteps and go and do. A physics degree, science of some form, uh, and it was the only school in the area that did a separate sciences at GCSE. And it got the my application to that school got denied, so I was due to go to the same school that ninety eight percent of the kids who'd been bullying me were going to. And I think if I'd have ended up going to that school, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Right. It's as as cut and dry as that. And my parents went to appeal and lost the appeal. And because they are stubborn, I love them for it, they made a point of going to the open day before the end of the last school year and made a point of waiting and hanging around for the head teacher. Right. Uh, and my mum and dad spoke to her and went through all the various reasons. And she said, it, we have couple of spaces that are allowed for head teacher's discretion Simon's coming to this school Charlie's coming to this school and she saved my life I went to that school and the bullying carried on a little bit because one of the kids who was there lived a couple of streets away from me and knew what had been going on at middle school and tried bullying carrying it on and the sports teacher at my new school recognised that something wasn't right and took me to one side and said what's going on nothing sir that and these to his words this word, word for word was that's bollocks something's going on tell me I can't help if you don't tell me well that's great and he stepped up and I'm here yeah and you know so it was it was a bizarre feeling, you know, sports teachers don't help, they bully. No, that's, I mean, that's... that's what they do. And then the next school, the sports teacher stepped up and went, no, no. No, that's it's, good. That I mean, it challenges assumptions too. I mean, and, and that's <laughs> it. I mean, and I'm sure that there's some terrible English and drama teachers out there who've done, you know, done terrible things to their, their students oh, yeah. the same way that the PE teacher did to you. I mean, the first PE teacher did to yeah. you. Like, were you... Because for me, like, yeah... What saved me was, like, I didn't change schools, but I, I didn't go to lessons for my last year of GCSE. I just sort of bunked off school. Um, and then when I went into sixth form, you could avoid the general yeah. populace of the school um, much easier. I think if, if those things hadn't happened, I, I, I don't know what would have happened to me. Um, and I did manage to persuade the sixth form to stop bullying me, not the rest of the school, but the, yeah. that's at least the, the general people I was coming into contact with. But did you carry on performing well kind of academically when you were being bullied? Um, somehow. I think it's mainly because I suppose it was the only thing I could focus on. Right. 
Because, yeah. I mean, me too, right? I, I performed well academically, and I think that's part of the thing. Like, uh, if you're all giving them what they want, yeah. th- there's no reason for them to tinker. Um, whereas if, you know, if, if we had suddenly started not getting the grades, um, I wonder if then they would have stepped in um, better. I don't know. But definitely I, I felt like... Um, you know, when I was at school, like a couple of times I was there were kind of violent incidents where I was kind of unofficially suspended as part of them. Um, and at the time, I thought that this was unfair treatment because I should have been officially suspended because I was one half of a, a violent incident. Yeah. But now I look back at them and I'm like, actually, I shouldn't have been suspended at all. Like, actually, they did that so they didn't have to talk about bullying. Mm. They, that, they did that so they didn't have to deal with the problem. And actually, when I went into sixth form, they tried to get me to be a bullying counsellor to younger people in the school. And I was like, no, I I never managed to get any help. You didn't help me. I've got nothing I can tell them that will help them. But also, I'm still being bullied. Like, it's like, you know, much milder because most, you know, my my classmates aren't bullying me anymore. But if I walk down the the school corridor, I'm still going to get spat at, you know. Um, So it's it's a funny thing. yeah, I mean, if, if yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know what I would tell a young person who was being bullied because I, I don't know what the answer is. I never found school to be a, 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 a sort of to have a to have a procedure, a process that I could recommend no, to people. I, mean, I think a lot of schools have got significantly better. Um, sure, it's been a lot of years since we were at school. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, having said that, you know, we're we've been looking at new high schools because uh you know my fiance's little boy's going to be moving up here and is going to be moving up from primary into into high school right so we've been looking around and it's been fascinating hearing you know obviously with my experiences um you know obviously it's one of the key questions i ask and we you know we you know what are your policies regarding bullying right how do you deal with them and it's been fascinating hearing how certain schools talk about them and the school that we're hoping to send our little one to um reassured me in every way possible just everything i everything i wanted to hear and i believed would be right they said and one of the schools that we spoke to, you know, started off really well and said, look, you know, we're not going to deny bullying happens. We, you know, anybody who tells you that bullying doesn't happen at school is kidding themselves. Yeah, yeah. It happens. Of course it does. But then, but of course, bullying is such a loaded term and so much gets put in with bullying. Right. That it's kind of like, hold on a second. You're, you're right. Bullying is a loaded term for a reason. You know, bullying is a, is a big problem and, you know, if you're saying that you're not going to step in when it's just teasing, when it's just being picked on, yeah. Mm, I mean, on. I've definitely been more harmed by words than by physical 
uh, actions as a general rule. I've experienced, you know, bad words and bad physical actions yeah. both at home and at school. But neither of those places have, you know, definitely the the things that have stuck with me are, are the words. Yeah. Now, I'm absolutely. not saying that physical violence doesn't no. have effects as well. It absolutely does. It's had effects on me. And I've been luckier than some in my bullying was mostly uh, psychological and emotional and verbal rather than physical. But that's... That, that that you know that's but isn't it? I mean, this is this is a something I've felt is that if the bullying had been more physical rather than psychological, would I have dealt with it quicker? Because the psychological stuff, I feel like I still carry around a lot right. with me. Because you don't know if it is really happening. Yeah, and or and, if it's and your also fault. it's just you know. you know it's that kind of constant chipping away at your psyche. You know you. You get called useless. You get called yeah, right. various right. things by enough people over enough time. There's a little bit of you, the little voice in the back of my head that still chirps up every now and then, that says they were right. You know. Yeah. Well, the bullies are and in I, our heads I, now yeah, forever, and, that, and that's it. I, <laughs> but if somebody just, you know, just in those inverted commas that we need to, you know, quotation marks, somebody just been battering the crap out of me. Yeah. I'd have physically healed from that. And I'd have felt, you know, I'd still have a little bit of me in the, in my head going, or oh, there must have been a reason why they were beating you up. But the physical side of stuff, you heal from quicker. I think the psychological stuff sticks in your head and goes, there was a reason. Right. They kept saying this. For and, me. I mean, I think, and that's a, a good point, like the, the, the way that people frame bullying as, as mostly physical in their minds... Um, is what allows teachers to say the kind of things that they said to you. Yeah. You're big enough and intelligent enough to handle this. What they mean is you should be able to beat people up if they're beating That's you the up. Same. If you know, if I'd have lashed out, and a couple of times I did, and sure. ended up getting put in detention for it. Right. Because I'm bigger, well, you're bigger than them. You could have hurt them. Right. See, it's catch twenty two. Absolutely, I found exactly the same. Thing. You know, if if you're big enough and and smart enough to be able to handle it, but then you can't handle it, and so you lash out. Well, you're too big. You could have you could have hurt somebody. So that's why you're in detention. But they started it. Doesn't matter. Right. I mean, the fact that you didn't want to fight back as well as the fact that you, like, although you, you, you snapped a couple of times, I did too at various times in different ways. I mostly shouted at people, but occasionally I was physical and that, that never worked out well for me either. Um, but like, it's quite reasonable to snap. But that's the thing, it's a reasonable yeah, reaction absolutely. after a, no, a kind of, you know, teachers need to be able to, to, to balance the reality yeah. of what's happening. If somebody has been repeatedly targeted and they fight back, that is different from if someone is going around attacking people for no reason. That's no. not that's not what's happening. And, and like in a court of law, in theory, you know, you at least get some defence. You yeah. don't necessarily have a de- anyone fighting your corner in school. No, I think it's... <sighs> <laughs> it's 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 something I still struggle with. I, it's something I, you know, like I said when we were looking around the high schools throughout Whitland, when, you know, we'll deal with bullying, but it's a loaded term. It gets often gets conflated with these other things, and it's just that was a huge red flag for me because well, bullying, as you just said, there isn't a purely physical thing. It's there's also a phrase that they kind of said 
Yeah. If it persists over a certain period of time, that's when we'll step. No, no. It's like mental no, no. health somebody, again. If somebody it? comes yeah. in to you and says, this is happening to me. Right. You go, okay, let's deal with it. Yeah, don't wait. You, you don't go in a way it's, it's, you know, you've still got three days before we can do anything. Yeah. I know he's been doing it to you for, for six weeks, but it needs to be seven before we'll step in. Behave. I mean, it's the same principle we were talking about with mental health care. Is that yeah. you know don't don't you know when the early warning signs happen, act then. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's also a similar kind of thing. Like now we're we're adults, we can maybe see some of these things of like underfunding in schools yeah. or like too much stress, like focus on targets, all sorts of things that mean that that teachers aren't able to provide the pastoral care that that they should in theory provide and then i guess there's kind of histories of school cultures that have built up that aren't necessarily good you know like as much as uh it's hard to be in a comprehensive school i think it's probably also hard to be in a in a boarding school upper class kind of circumstance like whatever school culture is there um it's not about freedom it's not about self-expression and all of these sorts of things i mean i often think school buildings are kind of remind me of like the design of school buildings remind me of the design of prisons sometimes um certainly my my secondary school i was very like aware of that of that kind of the fact that you were trapped in a building and you yeah. couldn't get out of it and the, yeah yeah exactly that there were in theory always wardens yes. looking at you but actually in practice there were loads of places where the wardens wouldn't see yeah. or the wardens would join in i mean it, you know it, it didn't seem very un, unlike the Shawshank Redemption, yeah. which I think was probably watched at the, around my, you know, when I was fifteen. Yeah. But it's 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 a, it's it's a weird kind of, it's a weird environment to imagine uh, people going into. I mean, it, it it must be strange for you to be now in the position of of, of having a young person that you're kind of shepherding through yeah. the school system. It, it is. It's it's kind of terrifying, really, um, on a brand new slightly different scale um because you know i I kind of because i i know what i went through and because of how i was i i look at like you know i I look at at our son and what he's going to be going through uh you know he's he's on the spectrum he's a, a incredible boy um but he is a bit naive. He is, you know, wonderfully sweet, but, you know, in a high school environment, that potentially leaves him open to being utterly mocked in the wrong wrong environment. Yeah. You know, and that terrifies me. Yeah. That's why we've been so careful in, in looking at the various schools and talking with people and trying to, you know, have a chat with some of the... The students, if we can, and see how they feel about the the kind of the pastoral side of stuff. And I mean, it's trying you know. it's trying not to bring in as well your own history. Yeah, like I have this with my, my niece is thirteen. She's at she's at secondary school. Um, oh, we'll pause. We'll pause because there's a knock at the door. I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding. 
company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing if you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book the way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it sharing it on social media recommending it to other people those kinds of things you can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page there's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society, but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem, but it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution and if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men which was a reflection on an extension of the show so Listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. Um, but yeah, um, my niece is 13 and she's uh, in secondary school now. She's scarily choosing her, her options for GCSE, and she is um, mixed race, so like that's another vector where you can be bullied yeah. um and she's a, a a woman a girl a young girl and so again another area where discrimination happens and yet she's having a whale of a time and she's yeah. really enjoying it and it and it, it it's it's trying not to like uh, when she's telling me how she's enjoying school and, and 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 how she's got all of these friends and how it's all working out like being positive and accepting that rather than being a bit like bitter you know because yeah. there is that because when you were talking earlier on about anger i think for me i'm, I'm a, i've got a lot of anger as well and i think a lot of that anger comes from 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 being bullied and not being yeah. heard and not being seen and so sometimes you can react when you when someone has a good time of like fucking bastard like what you know yeah. and yeah. I, I, I don't want to i didn't get that exactly your age. Yeah. exactly and i don't want to do that so it's like learning to be supportive when like i i think i know how to handle it like if she was being bullied i think i would be a really good uncle yeah. but but as someone when she's not being bullied i have to like make sure that i i'm not like 
not bringing in my yeah, you kind know, of saying to it, it could all change. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it, you don't want to be the person who introduces that bitter seed, do you? Exactly. I mean, and, and you know, bit, it's the bit, same thing. You know, if if, if she's going to get pushed back by life, that will happen to her anyway at some point, and then she'll have to deal with that. Like it, it, to to preempt that is a mistake. Yeah. Which isn't the same thing. I mean, obviously, she's a she's a, a young girl and a, and a person of color, so obviously, I, I'm not saying that that I, had, I don't have conversations with her about sexism and racism no. and things like that that need to be talked about but it's different saying oh your school's going to be like a prison don't go like don't <laughs> <laughs> you know be afraid every time you walk down the corridor like no, that's absolutely. not helpful for no me it's, to tell it's, her a, that. it's a thing that you know we've tried very hard with, with our son to kind of say to him you know if there are ever any issues you know you can come and talk to us that we will be there to support you He's kind of saying, well, what kind of issues? You know, there's always a chance that these type of things will happen, but hopefully it won't. That you know, hopefully you'll continue as it has done now, and you're having a great time at school, and that will continue. And that's what we hope for, and that's what we aim for. Is is that? Yeah, you know, we go in every day thinking it's going to be a good day. Yeah. And if there turns out to be an issue, then we'll deal with that when it comes up. But yeah. in the meantime, let's let's try and be positive with everything, and yeah. You know, Absolutely. But, you know, I try desperately not to kind of go, you know, try and have a good day. But it's probably going to be shit because mine was. Right. You know, it's not. I mean, that's the thing as well with depression (laughs) as well, isn't it? It's like, you know, when when you're feeling like the world is like, there's not, there's no point in living in it. It's like when, but then you're around a child, you have to like find a way of of, of breaking out of that. Like, it can be quite good. Like, I've, I've definitely found that, that having my niece around or whatever when I've been in, in bad states has brought me right out of them because you've yeah. got to be responsible. It's a, ch- it's a child you've got to be responsible for. But at the same time, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not always easy being positive uh, no. as somebody predisposed <laughs> towards not being positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we're definitely going to move towards the end of this conversation. But before I ask the last question, um, you've recently been writing uh, your first commissioned piece um, of poetry and spoken word uh, around the history of disability. And you were... Yeah, I, I got commissioned by a, a fabulous organisation in Blackpool called Disability First, who uh, celebrated their 25th anniversary as a charity this, this year. Um, and as part and parcel of that, I'd uh, spoken and done a piece at their summit earlier in the year uh, and was invited to uh, do a commissioned piece about the, um, how attitudes towards disability and everything has changed over the last 25 years, or if indeed it has changed massively over the, over the last 25 years. And it was fascinating, um, partly because I got to kind of look at a, a kind of a wide variety of, of of what happened and again explore some of my own history with disability um, because I'm kind of looking at at how or going back and remembering how my gran who had MS um, was treated and some of the difficulties that we had with just trying to go out for a meal when she visited um, or when she used to come up on the train, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Right. Tra- public transport was a, was a nightmare, and it's still not exactly 
amazing for people with disabilities now. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of looking back at it, and, you know, there was no... There wasn't even really a kind of a thought process as to, oh, somebody with a wheelchair might need to get onto a onto a train, so how do we go about that? Now, we're supposed to have had that thought. We might fail more often than we should, but at least the thought should have been there at some point because that's what the Disability Discrimination Act, when it was first introduced, encouraged everybody to do, and the Equality Act now, and everything keeps moving the... the guidance onwards and and tries increasing that and it's been fascinating to look back and remember where we were where we are and I kind of made a point of saying in in this piece that I did that as much as it feels like we've taken a number of steps backwards with disability recently you know the attitude towards it and the I suppose the the feeling that we're allowed to get away with being discriminatory again a bit more the the fact that there's definitely uh, yeah the government cuts and the government attitude towards disability this is where I let my politics and the media the media stoking a lot yeah. of this stuff too you know it, we we've taken we took a huge number of, of steps forward and we've taken a number back um, but it is still worth remembering that gains have been made right. And as much as we still need to fight and really strongly fight for each each other in this and keep improving things, if you look back even just that 25, 30 years, we have made huge strides forward. Yeah. You know, there, there has been an increase of access to everything. Just looking at, you know can't seem to stay away from talking about schools but just the, the the disability access into schools yeah i don't know if, if you've had this but certainly when i was growing up disabled kids weren't in classes with us we didn't you know they went to special schools right and you know they were kept separate because you know th- there was a belief that it would be better for them to be in a specialist environment that was never really specialist it was an old building that somebody made do with yeah. because you know funding again wasn't there but you know kids who were on the spectrum went to those specialist schools they didn't have provision in you know what are called mainstream schools they didn't yeah, have right. that and now kids who are on the spectrum are in the same classroom as everybody else and the kids who have grown up with them understand more about what that what that kid's going through and I would hope and certainly seen some evidence of it that those kids kind of go oh yeah that's what autism is fair enough oh yeah they take they take much more in their stride to the point where actually some of them if somebody new who doesn't understand starts trying to pick on that kid who who has autism the classmates turn around and go no no you don't do that yeah, I mean that's good. I hope that that does happen. I mean, it's 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 it's, yeah. I mean, these things are always complicated. Like with, you know, with autistic people, like we know so much more now, I guess, than we did. But also that you know there are more people on the spectrum, you know, in different ways. 
than people would have even recognized back then yeah. so there will have been autistic people in uh in mainstream schools yeah. who weren't getting any care uh-huh. and there still are you know yeah. there still are people who are undiagnosed a lot of uh, girls don't get diagnosed because no, we have a kind of strange gender thing that we have around autism um but so there's people who are there not getting the support and then there's people who are taken out having kind of an un, a, a not not good support in the yeah. kind of external situation and, yeah. and hopefully it's better for everybody I mean, now it, yeah. it's not just the autism i mean you know just the the whole kind of the whole kind of range of disability right. uh, access to mainstream school you know as we keep getting told that we should call it that you know that kind of that whole yeah. kind of access to schooling has increased massively for everybody so there is a a more diverse range of disabilities going into school and being around everybody so that everybody sees all right we're not all the same that's fine yeah and yeah it's that diversity in every every sense of, of of the word and that that needs to be encouraged and needs to continue but at the same time the funding needs to be made available to make sure that that can continue. And yeah, and you know that's if, where <laughs> that's where we could go into a whole third right. hour of this. Well, that's it. Because well, the, the thing is, with with all of these things, it's like people have people sometimes make the mistake that history is like a a straight line of progress and it is there's been loads of times where things have gone backwards as well as going yeah. forwards uh the enlightenment didn't necessarily help the situation for women for example um there have been lots of times when things go backwards as well as forwards and we're definitely at a time when things have got better but we have to make sure that we're not in the future at a time when things get worse yeah. i think yeah. and that's the that's the the thing we have with so many areas I think uh, in this kind of current moment whether it be uh, disability whether it be uh, gender in in lots of different ways uh, whether it be kind of race and racism like all all of these things uh, things go forwards but they only go continue to go forwards if we if we keep fighting absolutely and I think that's that's the key thing that all of us need to where we can without putting ourselves at risk of when we come back to mental health, right. damaging our mental health, struggling for it again. We we do need where we where we are able to keep that fight up and keep kind of making sure we're putting the the chalk in so that you know, although there may be a, a bit of a, a slip backwards, it's a tiny slip backwards so that we can go forward again. Yeah. And you know, there there will always be Regressions. It's not always going to be a, a forward moving as much as we might want it to be and hope that we, we can keep moving forwards. There are going to be times, and we're going through one at the moment globally, yeah. where we're, we're slipping backwards, you know, and it takes all of us to kind of recognise, okay, we are slipping backwards, so what can we do to shore up and then start moving forward right and And i guess i think we can do that yeah absolutely and i guess one of the things about this whole kind of question of do you should we talk about our mental health uh struggles should we kind of talk generally about our emotional well-being and stuff like that particularly men who don't tend to to talk about these things like 
that's one of the factors within it. It's like if you don't hear similar stories, you feel alone, right? Yeah. Like you and me at school, we felt alone. Yeah. If we'd have known and heard that there were other people having similar circumstances to us, yeah. then maybe that would have made it easier. Yeah. And certainly I, I have found as an adult hearing that, that I'm not alone in having these experiences, talking to people like yourself, where yeah. I'm like, where, where, where we can like say, oh yeah, I tried, like, I, I, I tried to kill myself in school and you know, to, they all said, go on and do it. Like actually, you know, the fact that we've both had that experience, it actually makes me feel better. You yeah. know, no, not that oh, it's we... It's not just me that yeah. went through that. Yeah, and yeah. that, like, you know, that, that you always have this sort of... I always have this thing in my, the back of my head where I'm like, maybe, you know, is it real? Is, is what happened real? Is it is yeah. it real? And when somebody else says that their experience and, and that is clearly real, it it helps me to, to, to understand that my life experiences were real. Um, so, um, you know, um, it's it's one of the, the side effects of doing a show like Getting Better Acquainted is that I've um, had many of these moments of like, oh, God, I'm not alone. Yeah. And same with tr- true storytelling and, and also with poetry, right? With spoken yeah. word. That's one of the things that happens there is that people get to say their experience and yeah. people in the audience come up and say, yeah, yeah that absolutely. happened to me. And that's phenomenal, not just from people reacting to stuff that I've written, but also for me hearing somebody else and kind of going I've never been able to put that into words I've gone through what you've just written and as much as I'm a writer I didn't know how to say what you've just said right thank you right and you know I think sometimes as much as I as much as I want to be able to say I'm I I can write so therefore I can put it into words there are things that I just can't do so hearing somebody else say it and very often in incredibly moving and interesting intricate ways yeah being able to hear that and kind of go that's what I wish I could have said yeah but thank you for saying it yeah it's phenomenal I mean I've had that experience too I mean uh, yeah when someone just says something and it's just sums up something that you've never been able to say yourself and I've also moment yeah that kind of Oh, and I've also experienced that the other side of someone coming up and saying you said something that I haven't been able to say and I'm, I'm sure you have yeah. as well I mean it goes it, it kind of it goes what goes around comes around yeah. with, with, with putting yourself out there in the world but I think that th- that's the thing it's like for all the work we can do as artists and people uh, sharing our stories and our, our, our work there has to be some structural and financial uh, elements to the way that we support mental health and the way that we deal with all of these kind of systems. And it's particularly like with bullying as well. There needs to be a similar level of like commitment to kind of getting rid of bullying as much as possible from not just schools, workplaces, like, you know, people, you know, my mum was bullied and, you know, quite late in life in the workplace. I mean, you know, these, these things can hit you at any time in any direction. It it does. You know, we've talked a lot about bullying at school and I think for a lot of people, it does feel like, oh, bullying is a school School thing. Yeah. And it's, as you just very, very well said there it's not it's it's something that continues it it is something that is environmental it's you know it, it's possibly seen as more prevalent in schools because it's a developmental stage for everybody and everybody's kind of 
finding those differences and finding their place and hierarchy and everything but it still continues on into workplaces and you know difference or power makes people yeah act in horrible ways sometimes and that's the thing as well like that we are people who've been bullied but then the people who bullied us are also people and they've also got their own kind of problems that often i mean somebody said to me uh, in a conversation recently probably on getting better acquainted that like um you know i said i think people at school bullied me because i was vulnerable and uh, they said you know yeah and how did they recognize that that vulnerability you know why mm-hmm. and the fact that they recognize it means either they've seen that kind of vulnerability in their homes or they feel that vulnerable yeah. but they built up a shell around it and and so you know we go through these school systems and then we go into the, the world of work and it's it makes absolute sense that what what we teach children will then become the behavior yeah. of adults so if we have bullying in schools then we will have bullying in workplaces like yeah. it's, it stands to reason yeah. <laughs> it's the interesting thing I mean you're saying about the kind of being able to recognize the bullying and having the the systems in place to be able to kind of work with it and help with it and a lot of people say well you know if somebody bullies somebody they the the bully should be punished and as much as I think that there should be a degree of chastisement towards that person yeah the person doing the bullying also needs talking to so that they understand what they're doing has a detrimental effect because if you just go no you're wrong you're a bad person how does that help them stop doing that right you know it's and the person being bullied needs talking to and and needs that help and guidance to to not feel victimised not feel um, not feel put down, but the person doing the bullying also needs that counselling as well. I think I think you're and, right. And when you're looking at you know when you're looking at bullying in schools, then it's easier to see because you can go like, well, that's a child and that's a child. So neither of them are responsible fully yeah. for their actions. When you get to adults, it becomes more complex. But I but I I, I think that for adults too and I think if you look at kind of systematic misogyny and sexism as bullying that's one way you can look at it Um, that often the people who are bullying are quite traumatised themselves in those circumstances Mm -hmm. and that you know if we want men to stop being terrible to people not just to women but to everyone Mm -hmm. then we we need to like help those men not not tell them that they're the, they're wrong they're the, they're the problem and put them in prisons which is kind yeah. of what we do now yeah I think it's it's uh, it need, you know it is you know not just a gendered thing it's, it is predominantly men that do the bullying but there's certainly there plenty of certain women, women who bullied well. me in school <laughs> same for me as well yeah. and it's that you know it, it needs to to do that that kind of thing it, it feels hard as hell to say that as somebody yeah. who was perpetually bullied to say well no actually the bully needs some care and attention as well because I, I have to be honest a big chunk of me is going no screw the bullies yeah me me too yeah, I feel the same way but the but, thing is we don't but, want bullying to happen no, exactly. and if we want to stop yeah. it 
We have to say that no. because it's like it's not necessarily it is for the bully, but it's also for all the people that that bully might bully in the exactly. future. It's it's for everybody. Like yeah. to work out what the problem is and then solve it is that is the yeah. goal. And, but, and bloody hell, it feels hard. But it's, it's, it. but it's yeah, but it shouldn't be down to us necessarily no, to do that work. That should is, be other people maybe doing the work no. rather than the people who've experienced the. But uh, it's the people the who bullying. experienced it, unfortunately, that need to that often need to lead the charge. I know we, we are. Yeah, we do, yeah. Because we've gone through, we can kind of go. No, no, I actually recognise how that feels. So, this well, is, this is the case for but, you know. It's you know. I was. Well, I definitely was talking to you know somebody who works in kind of um, doing does work kind of dealing with people who are, have experienced sexual assault and rape, and he mm. he's been raped. Um, and you know, we were talking about how like often. Like it's the people who've experienced the blunt end of it who end up doing the work, yeah. um, and it's 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 a hard nut to crack because obviously we have reason to, um, and we have experience that we can bring to it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, many of us just a lot of rage yeah. and anger about it, and I can you know I can see it in oh, you. Yeah. It's very fresh. I find it myself. It's quite fresh in me, um, quite often if I'm not careful. But yeah, I mean, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you today. I mean, like, you know, a pleasure always seems a weird word to use when we've been talking about <laughs> like complicated things like bullying and mental health and stuff. But it has on on some level been a pleasure. Um, as I say, I've been recognised. My, 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 my trauma has been recognised and that is in some ways pleasurable. Um, the, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? At this point in time, no. I'd really wish to be able to kind of say, yeah, I've got loads of books that I can <laughs> ask you to do or a new show that I'm going to be performing. But at the moment, not particularly. You know, the the, the big thing that I would ask people to do, and I know uh, you, you did this when you spoke to Matt, is to come to the West End of Morecambe, see what the alt space has got to offer, uh, see that Morecambe has got more to offer than just being a run-down seaside town in the northwest of the UK that it is a fabulous place and um, if you see me out and about come and say hello come and watch the gig and let me know how I've done and if you like what I've done tell me if you don't like what I've done tell me why <laughs> don't be horrible but you know tell me what I can do to improve because that's what we always want to do I mean and that's out and about doing uh spoken word performances yeah. I mean do you have anything on online like a website uh, I have a website which gets updated once every three years or so because I'm useless at it um, but that is something I'm going to be working on uh, in these mythical five minutes that I ever get to sit down and do stuff but there is going to be stuff there there is uh, videos of me up on YouTube through uh, Evidently Salford's channel um, and I will be uploading more things in the near future. And uh, your full name is Charlie Hart. So uh, yeah, that... this is where it gets confusing. I'm actually Simon Hart. Right, I noticed that you, yeah, you slipped I'm, I'm into your old yeah, name. I'm technically Simon Hart. I perform under Big Charlie Poet, uh, and I'm Charlie Hart on most social media. Right. So, yeah, Big Charlie Poet started as the yeah, nom de guerre, and, right. um, and it's stuck, and... Charlie is pretty much who I am. So the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye to the audience. Bye, everyone. 
So first of all, the extra plugs that I generally give, uh, please do support my book, Mansplaining Masculinity, to get made. Uh, you can find out more about that book and all of the other things that have gone into the making of that book at mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and you can support it by going to unbound.com forward slash mansplaining hyphen masculinity Uh, so please do do that because if without your support without you pre-ordering that book it can't happen i've recently written a medium piece called what about the women which is kind of an extension of some of the work i've been doing so do please check out that medium piece and while i'm talking about medium pieces i also recently put out a ninth piece in my series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad which are uh pieces about my relationship with my dad but also uh, his relationship with dementia and growing old and what's been happening as that has happened to our relationship and to him and all that sort of stuff. As per usual, there will be links in the show notes that will take you to them. Uh, And similarly, I also do another podcast, The Family Tree, which will be coming out in January 2019. So now's a good time to catch up with seasons one and season two, uh, ready for that season three. It's also a great time to go over to the Family Tree's Patreon campaign and become a patron uh, and support what we do. If you've listened to Getting Better Acquainted for free for, for years, then that's definitely something that would be really appreciated if you could help me to make that final season of the family tree that would be an amazing present to me as i said at the beginning of the episode the current plan is for getting better acquainted to go on hiatus so there'll be one next week and then there'll be a break until somewhere in december when a christmas episode will come out and that will be the 350th episode of getting better acquainted and it seems like an appropriate number an appropriate moment to have an ending of sorts although there'll also be the yearly getting better acquainted extra in the new year which will be me reflecting on the last year but also on all of the years of making getting better acquainted since 2011. The feed and the archive of all of those episodes, and remember it's a lot more than 350 episodes actually because that's just the 350 uh, that I've numbered in that particular way. There have been lots of live episodes that don't get included in that numbering. There have been lots of extra episodes that have not been included in that numbering. Sometimes episodes have been two-parters and so both halves have counted as the same episode. And also there's been lots of in recent years getting better acquainted replayed episodes where I've replayed old episodes but I've also recorded a current and contemporary commentary on uh, those episodes so they're kind of new episodes in their own right as well. So there's loads and loads of content if you've just found getting better acquainted and you're like oh I want to listen to this every week well you still can because you can listen to a new old episode every week Um, going back to 2011 where I do not vouch for myself or my opinions or my accent is very different from my accent now but the feed and the archive will remain 
and no doubt I'm going to put out bits and bobs on the feed as they happen in my life like there may be new episodes that come out or special episodes that come out or for example I'm intending to make a new podcast series uh, relatively soon where I'm going to be turning those medium pieces about my dad into audio pieces and then I will put them out on the new podcast feed for them but I will also put them out on getting better acquainted and I may go back to some of my other projects and share some of those bits and bobs on this feed going forward so you might get kind of the the actual masculinity show might come out at some point on the feed or uh, some of the best highlights from the stand-up tragedy podcast this isn't necessarily the end I mean what is an ending anyway often endings aren't really about something stopping but more about something changing so I may very well take up getting better acquainted uh, in the future either as a return to its original weekly format or else into a more manageable format which maybe goes out every two weeks or every month or something like that in the future so my reasons for all of this change and for this hiatus are many and varied. A lot has changed in the world of podcasting since I started the show and I feel that going forwards, if I'm going to continue working in this medium on projects that don't actually pay me, uh, then I want those projects that I'm making for love uh, to be podcasts that are more considered and more edited. Also, I've got a few more regular editing production gigs. I'm going to be able to get some of the things that I've got from making Getting Better Acquainted over the years from doing that work. I've just started doing production work on Sophie Hagen's podcast, Made of Human, which is a brilliant conversation podcast. She has conversations with different people that she knows or that she's come across. Uh, it's not the same format as Getting Better Acquainted, really, but there are kind of echoes between the two shows. And so I'm really pleased to be working on that and getting some of my uh, conversation fix from that. Um, but it's even more of a delight than making Getting Better Acquainted because I'm not listening to myself, so I'm not being uh, self-critical the whole way through editing I'm also potentially on the lookout for part-time jobs because I'd like to get some stability in my life and stop this constant worry of kind of precarity of like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. So if I get a part-time job, then that's definitely going to mean that something has to give. So I'm letting Getting Better Acquainted fall away now so that I can do it with care and give it the send-off that I want it to have rather than a sudden stop that might happen if I suddenly got busy. Similarly, if Mansplaining Masculinity does ever get funded, and remember, that's something that you can help make happen, uh, so please do go and do that if you haven't and you have the money and you'd like to. But if it does get funded, then I'm going to need time to write that book. And I want to do other work that isn't based around podcasts. I want to write some novels and uh, write some songs and sing some songs, uh, things that I used to do a lot more of before podcasting became the main focus of my creative outlook. Sadly, to have room for new stuff, you have to give up the old stuff. And just as I was sad to stop doing stand-up tragedy or before that, uh, apples for everyone, uh, I'm going to be sad to say goodbye to getting better acquainted. But 
Similarly, I'm glad to have worked on all of those projects uh, and I'm also glad to have the time to work on new things. Getting better acquainted has changed my life, I think, it's fair to say. I actually think that it's helped me to become a better person, although I still have quite a way to go on that. Doing Getting Better Acquainted has led me to so many things that I would never have had the opportunity to do if I hadn't started recording conversations with people. Uh, it's shaped my life as well as documenting it and I feel like this is a good time to stop it or pause it while I still love it and while I still believe in it. And during a time when I'm changing so many other things in my life anyway, like I've moved to Lancaster, uh, I've stopped smoking, I'm now vaping, those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a moment of change. And as Irvin Welsh said in, in his book Glue, although it wasn't actually him that said it, it was a character he wrote, um, life is a dynamic rather than a static process. And when we don't change, it kills us. It's not running away. It's moving on. As I said at the beginning, it would be great if you've listened to the show over the years and you've enjoyed it. If you could reach out to me and, and tell me what that experience has been like. Uh, again, it's GBA Podcast at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. I'm GooseFat101 on Twitter or there's a GBA Podcast Twitter feed as well if you want to send straight to that. Uh, Getting Better Acquainted can be found everywhere that podcasts can be found on the internet, basically. It's even on Spotify, finally, um, thankfully. Uh, so it's there in all these different places and you can listen to the archive and you can subscribe for whatever comes on the feed in coming months and years uh, in those places. Since I made this decision last week, a few people who I didn't know have reached out to me because I made an announcement on on Facebook, uh, on the Getting Better Acquainted Facebook page because you can find it on Facebook and Twitter and all those places. And people have reached out and that's really meant a lot. And thank you to those people who have uh, told me what they've found and felt about the process of doing the show and uh, thank you for, for expressing your gratitude to me for the work that I've done. Um, Thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Full gratitude to you for, for listening to everybody, both people I know and people I don't know, uh, people all over the world, because I see the stats who've listened to this show uh, since it started. I'm really grateful for all of you uh, for doing that. Thank you so much for joining me on this ride. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.